Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 is a very interesting chapter. It talks about the year of rest, which is the uh, known as the Sabbath year. And uh, there's also, uh, we'll talk about it uh, later on too, it's also the Jubilee that's described, which is the 50th year. We'll get into that um, later on. Um, but this morning, I want to take a look at the first portion of Leviticus uh, dealing with, uh, Leviticus 25, excuse me, dealing with the Sabbath rest or the year of rest. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is a year of rest for the land, and the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for, uh, for you, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land. All its produce shall be for food. So not only did God institute for the children of Israel the, the, the Sabbath week, you know, you work six days a week, and then the seventh day you rest, and you don't work on that day. But God also instituted a Sabbath year. So you, you basically, how, how does it work? Well, you, for six years, you sow the land, if you're a landowner. You sow the land. Um, you prune your, your vineyards or your, your, you, know, you take care of your crops that are growing. Um, and then at the end of that six year, the harvest time in the fall, you reap your harvest. And of course, you would feed your family. You probably sell some or trade uh, your, your grain or whatever your fruit is for other things and so you made you did business basically so for six years the children of Israel were to do that but on the seventh year they were to rest they were not to do any sowing or pruning no reaping or gathering the fruit because of course fruit would still grow the fruit that would be on the vines or in the fields it would basically be for food not for sale and not for trade so it would just be just sustenance, basically. Why was the purpose, or what was the purpose? We're told that it was to give the land a rest. Now, some of you are probably agriculturally minded. Maybe you grew up on a farm or something, and um, I'm not. I'm a city slicker, so I don't know a whole lot about uh, you know land and stuff. But maybe a question would be, well, why don't we just do crop rotation? I mean, nowadays you don't see anybody leaving a. I don't know. I mean, maybe they do leave fields um, sitting fallow for a year for the purpose of giving the land a rest. But we do see crop rotation, right? It's, it's good to get the different nutrients into the land. Why didn't God just tell them to do that? Well, the reason was, it was not only rest for the land, but it was also rest for the owner. Hey, this is one year, you can just kick back. 
You can just rest. You don't have to. You don't have to strive. You don't have to toil. You can just eat the produce of the land. It was rest for the owner. It would be rest for his workers, the hired hands that would, you know, gather in the crops and everything. It'd even be rest for the animals because they didn't have John Deere back then. He wasn't born yet. <laughs> they had oxen, right? <laughs> and so your animals, it would be a rest for the animals as well. Why did God do that? The key, I think, is in verse 2. The verse 2 says, when you come, and this is the Lord speaking to the children of Israel, when you come into the land which I give you, you see, the land was not theirs. It was God's land, and he was giving it to them for their use only. And he's, he's driving home that concept to them. But, you know, let's say you're a landowner. You own a you know, couple thousand acres of the land in Israel and stuff. You know, what's the impact for you? Can you imagine you're the guy who purchased the land, you've tilled the ground for six years, you've, you've sowed your seed, you've, you've worked, you've cultivated that land, and uh, you know, you've harvested and stuff. And then on the seventh year, well, you can eat the fruit, which is great, you know, at least you have food to eat, but so could your servants. They could come in and just help themselves and eat. Not only that, but those hired hands, those illegal aliens that you're not supposed to hire, you know, they're working the field. They could eat. I, I don't mean to make light of that, but, um, you know, your hired hands uh, could eat. Not only that, but some guys just passing through the city or through the town or through the country. Obviously, it's in the fields beyond the country. And he's hungry. He could just walk into your field, grab enough food to eat, and head on his way. Not only that, but the livestock. Now, I don't think livestock eat grapes. Maybe there's some that do. Deer probably do. But, you know, I don't know what the oxen, probably grass or, or hay or something like that. But your livestock could eat also. And not only that, but it says the beasts of the land. Which are those? Those are the wild animals. Now, that would be tough if you're a farmer and you're seeing everything. Just everybody's eating your, your produce and stuff. You know, um, I grew up in California. And uh, one of the things that I miss about California is the fruit, the produce, because it's ripe. It's, it's vine picked, it's, you know, it's tree ripe or whatever. Um, they don't pick it when it's unripe and stuff. And so it just, to me, it's a lot more flavorful. Uh, I grew up in what's now called Silicon Valley, but before it used to be the prune capital of the world, San Jose, California. And actually in Campbell, California is where we first, uh, where I first grew up. And then that's just kind of not too far from San Jose. And then uh, my dad took a job, what used to be in the outskirts of San Jose at an amusement park. And, uh, and so we moved to the outskirts of town, which is now the middle of town, basically, because the town, you know, the city grew up so much. Um, but when we got to this house, it was, it was a tract home, so it had a small backyard, but it had fruit trees all over. We had a plum tree. We had uh, two to three orange trees. We had a lemon bush. We had a pear tree. And my favorite was a cherry tree. In fact, I think we had two cherry trees. And man, cherries... They are ripe right around June or so, middle early June or so, and that's one of my favorite fruits. And so, man, I was just, this is great. It's like heaven, you know, like in the Garden of Eden in our backyard. And uh, the only thing is, you know, as soon as those cherries get ripe, you got to pick them <laughs> because the birds, man, they they just go to town on those things. They love them. And uh, so, you know, you get all upset, like, hey, they're eating my cherries, you know? And uh, so what we ended up, my mom figured out, you know, if you put a, hang a pie tin 
you know, those aluminum pipe tins. You hang a bunch in your tree. It looks really goofy, but if you hang them in your tree, apparently the light, the reflection of the light will scare the birds supposedly away. Um, but, but can you imagine that concept? You're, you're a farmer, and there, you know, you've, you've worked and everything, and now you're the seventh year. It's like anybody and everything is just eating the produce of the land. That would be very humiliating. It would be humbling for the farmer. But again, God is trying to remind him, hey, this isn't your land. You're just, you're just a tenant. You're just a caretaker of it. And so the Sabbath year was a reminder to the children of Israel that the land was the Lord's. They're just stewards of it. You know what's amazing, though? If you read the history of the Old Testament, this is one of the commands. There is no record of the children of Israel ever obeying that command. There's no record of them doing it, which is fascinating. Well, maybe in a way not, because why would someone not want to obey the Lord in this command? Why, why would they not? I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Well, there's two reasons, I think, and both of them have to do with human nature. The first one is greed. Man, that's something we all deal with, right? It's like, man, look at that stuff laying in the field. I could be making some money off of this thing. I could be, man, and I gotta just let it sit there. Man, I can't do that. There's, I, it's, it's, I'm not being a wise steward of my finances. You know, I gotta do this and stuff. And so whatever, it, that, that greed can cause a person to not obey that command. Look how much is just sitting there. Look what we could sell. And so probably that was one of the reasons why some of the farmers in, in Israel, they didn't, they didn't obey that command. Proverbs 27, verse 20 says this, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. I know that in my own life, man. I struggle with contentment. I don't know if you do. I struggle with contentment. You know, I think if I can just get this one thing, if I could just strive, and I work hard for it, and I try to get it, and then I get it, and then it's like, okay, what's next? You know, it's like it's, there's never, you never have that quite that satisfaction. Um, how much is enough? You know, somebody asked Rockefeller. He was like the first, you know, millionaire in the United, I guess, in Billy, well, millionaire back then. And, and they, they, some reporter asked him, you know, how much money is enough? And he, his answer was classic. He said, just a little bit more. <laughs> is that true, though? That's human nature. Greed. So that would have been one of the things. You know, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Have you ever seen that? You know, hauling this money or stuff with it? You don't, you don't see that, right? Um, but greed is a big issue. And so greed would have been one of the reasons probably that they didn't, you know, that they didn't obey the command. The other reason, again, having to do with human nature is fear. Fear. You know, can you imagine the, 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 the people in Israel, I know this is God's command, but man, I don't know if we're going to make it through this year if we don't sell it, you know? What if we lose the farm? You know, what, what, I just don't know. I mean, I, I look at everybody's eating the field. There's, there's going to be enough for me, for my family. And so fear could be a driving factor for them of not trusting the Lord and not obeying him. You know, I think in a lot of cases, and you know, I, fear is a legitimate emotional thing. But I think if we were to be honest, Sometimes fear in us is just really a lack of faith. It really is, I think. 
just, you know, we know God's going to provide. We know God's going to take care of us, but we're just real not quite sure. So, you know, we're going to do our part. A lot of us don't like, and I don't think any of us really like to step outside of our comfort zone, but that's what faith is. It's taking those steps that are a little bit outside of what you're comfortable with. Now i got to rely on the Lord. Oh, scary, you know, um, rather than relying on myself. And fear can be a, a real big factor in not obeying the Lord. We know what's the right thing to do, but we're afraid. Or, or you can substitute unwilling to take that step. You know, there's an interesting story in the Old Testament. Children of Israel... They had, God had led them through, well, he led them through the Red Sea, right? Miraculously, the waters parted, you know, Moses lifted up his hands, the children of Israel passed through on dry ground, uh, and then Pharaoh tried to do the same thing, the water closed in on them and, and drowned all the Egyptians, and so the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, and then God led them through the wilderness. Well, when they got to Canaan, they had to cross the Jordan River. There was one thing between them and, and the Promised Land, and that was the, the Jordan River, besides Jericho. That was another, that's another Bible study. We won't go there. But, um, so they had to cross the river. Now, I've been in, northern, I've been in Israel, but in, in the north, in the Jordan River, it's kind of like up by Lake Itasca with the Mississippi River. You can just walk across it, right? But you get down by New Orleans, good luck, you know, because uh, know, there's so much water. Well, in the north in Israel, you can cross the Jordan River. It's not a big deal. Um, but you get further south, and it's, it's a more of a big deal. Well, when the, the children of Israel were ready to cross the, the, uh, the Jordan River, it was at flood stage. And so not only deep, but wide. And uh, maybe that's where the song came from, deep and wide. Um, but anyways, how do they cross the land? How do they cross it? You know, Is God going to just part the water, and then they're going to walk through? He didn't do it that time. Well, he told the children of Israel, he says, have the Levites that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant have them step into the water. And once they do that, then the waters will part. So that's really a picture of taking literally a step of faith. And some of us are afraid to do that. You know, I, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if I can trust the Lord. And yet that's exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to live by faith. Well, I tell you what, fear has gripped our community, hasn't it? Our nation, I guess, probably the whole world, I would say. Fear has gripped people. And so what's happening? I don't know if you've experienced it, but hoarding is going on nationwide. It's probably global, but certainly in our, in our country, hoarding is going on. What is hoarding? It's I can't trust God's provisions, so I better guess as much as I can so I don't have to rely on anybody else. I got it all here. I got my stack of toilet paper, you know. Um, there's some irrational hoarding that is going on, and you guys probably are fully aware of it. I went to uh, 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 Sam's Club Friday to get toilet paper for church. Good luck. <laughs> the shelves are empty. I know where it is now. Oh, I forgot about this verse here. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And you might think, well, wait, that's the fear of, you know, fear of man. I'm, I'm afraid of what a man may do. That's true. That brings a snare. But I also think it's the fear that is in man is also an, uh, an application, right? The fear that's in us can bring a snare. It can cause us to disobey the Lord. So anyways, people are hoarding right now. And some of it's irrational. I finally figured out where all the toilet paper in Rochester is. It's in her basement. <laughs> I want to find out what that address is. <laughs> oh, man. 
there's a story behind that. You know, so going back to California, you know, uh, when I was growing up, we I was born in Canada, so I'm a Canuck, okay? And uh, anyways, we immigrated to, to San Jose, or actually Campbell, in the early 60s. And uh, we have, all my relatives are still, except for a couple of them, or most of them are up in Canada. And they always loved coming down to California in the summer, in the wintertime. So it was, we were their favorite vacation spot because they could stay for free and there was everything to do around there and stuff. So we would get visitors frequently. And uh, when I was a kid, I used to, you know, I think I was kind of a, a, a funny guy and stuff. And so I'd always kind of play a little riddle or joke on whenever an uncle or aunt would come or their, my cousins or stuff. And uh, I'd go, hey, you know, they'd, they'd come there at the night and then they'd get up in the morning and I'd say, hey, do you know the difference between toilet paper and a shower curtain? And they would always say, no. And I go, oh, so you're the one. <laughs> All right, that's. <laughs> I thought it was funny when I was a kid, obviously. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Aren't you glad I grew up? <laughs> yeah, I know. I still think it's funny. <laughs> All right, so, anyways. So, the children of Israel. They've got this command to, uh, you know, uh, let the land sit for seven years, or I mean for, for one year in the seventh year. And uh, so the first year rolls around, or the first Sabbath year that they're supposed to observe it. And for whatever reason, fear or greed or, or maybe both, maybe it's a combination, they disobey the Lord and they don't do it. And I can imagine, because, I mean, they've experienced God's discipline. They've seen what God does when people disobey him. I can imagine the fear that they probably, at the end of, the, at the end of that year, it's like, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know when that shoe's going to drop. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. So they go another six years. You know, harvesting, reaping, sowing, all this stuff. They get to the end of 14 years. They do the same thing. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. It continues every seven years for 490 years, and nothing happens. So after a while, I think they get the attitude that Solomon describes in Ecclesiastes 8.11. It says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What they did was they made a mistake. Well, they sinned, obviously, but they made a mistake. And the mistake is this. They mistook God's silence for his approval. Hey, God's, God's not, I haven't, nothing's happened. So I guess it's okay. I guess maybe it was just a suggestion. We just, you know, it was a good idea, but, you know, we don't have to really obey it. And so they didn't obey it. But there's a problem. The land was God's. They were just stewards. And God's land is going to get a rest. Whether they do it or not, God's land is going to get a rest. So after 490 years, you know, the, the northern, the, the Israel had a civil war by then, and the, the, ten, uh, the, uh, the ten northern tribes, they had already gone into captivity for the Assyrians. But Judah and Benjamin and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the, the, it was called Judah, was the name of the nation. They were still in the land, and uh, they ended up going to Babylonian captivity. And they went into uh, Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And this is why. Or it describes it anyways in 2 Chronicles 36.20. It 
There's more to this story, but I just want to share these two verses. It says, And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept her Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So 490 years, 70 Sabbath years, they just blew it off. They ignored God's command, but the land got its rest. And so the Lord had them go into captivity for 70 years, one year for every Sabbath year that the land didn't rest. Now the Sabbath year, I think there's another reason behind it too. I think it was a replication of life in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was occupied, he had things to do, but he didn't have to toil and sweat, pulling weeds and you know, all the stuff that you hate about gardening. He didn't have to do any of that. He just basically uh, ate food that was provided in the garden and worshiped the Lord. That's rest. That's, that's, that's the rest that you and I should have. And so the weekly Sabbath and the Sabbath year, they both were pictures of rest that the children of Israel were to enjoy. And the rest that they were the, was spiritual. Of course, it was a picture of the spiritual rest that you and I as the people of God, the children of God, are to enjoy in the finished work of Christ on the cross. We don't have to toil for our salvation. We can just rest in our salvation and worship the Lord. It's also a picture, I think, of the rest that the children of God are going to enjoy in the age to come. And I can't wait for that. I can't wait for the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. But what about us today? You see, we're to be resting in that spiritual rest. No more striving and toiling, but just resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. But you know, today, there's a lot of unrest out there, isn't there? There's a lot of unrest. It's just like when I was sharing the kids. I feel like we're out in the middle of the sea, you know, and it's up and down. You just, you don't know what's, where, you just like, where's the land? Where's a safe place? You know, up till uh, probably a, a month or so ago, in my estimation anyways, and I'm no expert, but in my estimation, it was a shoe in that President Trump was going to get reelected. I mean, look at how the, the, Democrats were just goofing up this, you know, the process. They were like, there's no way any, they're gonna, one of them is going to get elected. But, man, I tell you, now, you know, he had a good economy. He had all the stuff. The economy is in the tank right now. Um, I have a cousin up in, in, uh, in Alberta. He just texted me last night. Um, he's the one that we had been praying for. His, uh, the, earlier this year, his uh, son and daughter Actually, his daughter and son-in-law, they were missionaries in Africa, and uh, they and their kids were killed in a head-on car collision in Africa, and the whole family died, the whole family. So her, their kids and their grandkids just wiped out in one accident. They dealt with that, and then so he texted me yesterday, or last night, and said, uh, guess what, my wife... Um, she just had an emergency, she had a gallbladder attack and had an emergency surgery, but, but she's okay. And then he says, and because the, because uh, the, he's a welder for the refineries up in, up in Canada, and because the price of oil has just gone down, they're laying off everybody. He goes, I just lost my job too as a welder. So it's like they got a triple whammy hitting them, you know, and it's like, we'll be praying for you, brother. Um, but uh, anyways, 
why was I sharing that? Well, you know, so now it's like, you know, who knows? I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. God's still in control. He's still on the throne, right? We don't need to fear. We can rest even when the world around us is in a state of unrest. I, just that verse that I shared with the kids earlier, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let me ask you this. What's your mind stayed on right now this morning? Is it stayed on the news? If it's stayed on the news, <laughs> good luck trying to find any peace in that, right? You guys know that. Is your mind stayed on Facebook? <laughs> There's another place where you can just really get, no, oh, I can really get encouraged by looking at Facebook. Um, or like me, when I went to the store, I'll be honest with you. When I went in there and saw that there was no toilet paper, I went into panic mode. <laughs> I'm thinking, what are the people at church going to do if we don't have toilet paper? <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. If we, ever, if we get to that, we'll figure something out, obviously. But uh, it was kind of a little unnerving. So then I run over to Walmart. I go, well, okay, Costco's out. Walmart's got to have them. Good luck. <laughs> and then I'm driving home. I thought, well, maybe I go to Costco. And I thought, you know what? If those two stores are empty, there's, I'm sure Costco's empty. And sure enough, man, it seems like everywhere there's no toilet paper. <laughs> uh, it's weird. But, you know, that's what that's can happen, though, right? If we look at things like that, you go, oh, I should have bought some. You know, I was wondering, and you've probably thought the same thing, what does toilet paper have to do with coronavirus? <laughs> the only thing I can think of is, hey, if they quarantine and you got to be stuck in your house, you know, you, you, you can't, you know, you might run out of toilet paper, okay? Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. I was listening to someone who's a psychological expert, and they were saying that there's a psychological aspect to this. And it's if you see someone else hoarding something, it causes you to go, oh, they know something I don't know. And I think that is probably true, you know. You come in there and you see, this, you know, okay, so I'm a cheapskate, you know. I see people coming out. If I saw a line of people with big things of the, you know, the Costco or the Sam's Club toilet paper, you know, so a big square, you know, 100 rolls in a pack or something like that. You know, if I see every cart in the row, I'm, first there's two things I'm going to think. They must have a sale. I better get over there and get some. It's got to be cheap. Or, hey, they know something I don't know. And, man, I better get some too. And I think that's what's happening. Everybody's in a panic. Why? Because their minds are stayed on what's going on around them. Their minds are fixed on that. Rather than, you and I as believers, our mind is to be stayed on the Lord. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Stay, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then the next verse says this, Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Now we're to trust in God, and he doesn't let us down. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 27. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You notice something Jesus said there? The world does give peace, doesn't it? It does. But their peace is based on circumstance. If the circumstances are good, then hey, it's peaceful. But you know what? That's an empty peace. That's a false peace. 
that's a piece that doesn't last. It's a cheap imitation because as soon as the circumstances change, the piece is gone. That's the world's peace. But Jesus says here, my peace I give to you. Jesus' peace. Hmm. Think about what Jesus did in the Gospels. You have four different Gospels you can read. You read all four. Did Jesus ever act in a panic? Did he ever, like, run to Costco and get as much toilet paper as he could get? No. You don't see him panicked once. You don't see him freaking out. I don't know what to do. What did he do? He just looked to the Father. In fact, I just finished reading the Gospel of John. I think I got another chapter left to do, one or two in John. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading it this week is, you know, Jesus says, hey, I just do whatever I see the Father do. Whatever whatever he does, man, that's what I do. That's the peace that Jesus has, and that's the peace that he wants to give you and I, where it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to look at Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on there, but just like that lighthouse, man, I'm just focused laser beam on that light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, so I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. If he's not panicked, I don't need to panic. I can tell you right now, God's not panicked right now. He's not panicked at all. And when whatever storm, and okay, we're talking about coronavirus, but any storm in your life, God doesn't go into panic mode. So why should we as his children go into panic? We shouldn't, because we have his peace. And his peace was focused, he just focused on the Father. So our, we're to focus on Jesus Christ. Man, I want that peace. Jesus said this in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But we're not promised we're not going to have any kind of issues. There's nothing that's going to be challenging our, pre, our peace. There's not going to be any struggles. Man, you, if you've been alive for any amount of time on this planet, you know we all, we're, tribulation is part of the world that we live in, especially for Christians. But we're to be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. This is another one that lately has really been impacting me. Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I don't want to get into a morbid, you know, thinking, well, you know, what if we die? You know, and that's a genuine fear of people, you know, especially if you're in a high-risk category. You know, my wife, she's, well, I'm, I'm close to high-risk because of my age, but I'm still a little bit underneath that, that window, you know. Um, my wife, she's not there by age, but she is there because of underlying health conditions. So, you know, it's, hey, it's, they say if you catch this and you're, you know, you've got some health conditions, you, you, it, it could. There's a higher rate of fatality. So it's not a, it's not like it's unfounded or anything, but for you and I as believers, man, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. We have an eternal home waiting for us. So you know, again, I don't want to get morbid, but you know, one reason why, another reason why I shared this scripture. How many of you hate passwords? Okay, I see one. I say, okay, the hands are starting to come up. Man, I hate, they drive me nuts. And now you have to have past phrases, right? So now it's like, okay, you can't just have, you know, Chuckles, my little dog or whatever. Now it's got to be, I love Chuckles, you know, and, and then you got to have a little exclamation or, you know, and then a capital. So it's getting really complicated to remember passwords. I have to write them down all the time. You know, I know you're not supposed to. 
good luck. I, I have to. So I got a little book. If you ever find it, you've got the keys to the kingdom, man. Um, so <laughs> and uh, anyways, so recently at work, I had to come up with a new passphrase and stuff. So I'm like, okay, you know, uh, Jack and Jill up the hill, you know, uh, Don loves Teresa, you know. Uh, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm, I've used all these ones already. So what do I do? You know what I thought of? This, and I'm going to, you're not supposed to do this, but okay. Justin, no word, okay? <laughs> this is my password. I'm giving it out. <laughs> to live as Christ. Amen. And I put PHP 1 colon 2-1. So every time I have to enter in that passphrase, it's like, oh yeah, for to me to live as Christ, to die is gain. <laughs> Justin just said he had the same password. He's in trouble too. Um, Hey, that's just a tip for you guys. Just a tip. If you want to, like you have trouble memorizing scripture, use, use that for your passphrases. Not, not that verse necessarily, but pick one. And, you know, and then you're also memorizing the reference. And man, isn't that cool? God gives us a way in this world to memorize his word. So just an encouragement for you. That's just, I won't charge you for that. That's free. Um, so that's, that's just some free advice there. So what do we do when the world around us is in panic? What do we do when everything around us gives us a reason to be in panic? And sometimes there's a good reason to be in panic, right? You look at, I mean, there's some serious stuff going on in our world. For you and I as believers, let your mind be stayed on Christ and on his word. And what does he tell us? How do you keep your mind stayed on Christ? Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus hey we don't have to be anxious we don't have to be panicked you get if, you know if something is starting to make you anxious there's a solution <laughs> take it to the lord in prayer you know, and so we're to pray with thanksgiving, but let your request be made known to God. Hey, Lord, I'm afraid. This is scaring me. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure about this, whatever this is. Take it to the Lord and let his peace flood your heart. Let him give you that peace because he wants to give it to each one of us. It's available for us if we'll just look to him. Now, I don't know if you caught on the news um, yesterday, but our president declared today a national day of prayer. And he said, you know what, I just want the nation to pray. And so I want to do that. I want to honor that. I think it, it, with, this, with everything that's going on, what a perfect 